Since 2010, many of us Montana residents, business owners, sportsmen and women, and conservationists join forces under the banner of Montanans for Healthy Rivers to identify and conserve the last best free-flowing rivers in Montana. Some of the greatest river stewards and boots on the ground helping to protect our rivers day in and day out are guides. From a guiding perspective, I can tell you that sustainability and preservation is my ultimate goal. My name is Kinsley Scott. I'm a Montana native and guide, and I have been with Montanans for Healthy Rivers for years now. Welcome to River Ramble Guides Edition. In this series, we will hear from guides and outfitters from across the state in various regions of the proposed grassroots legislation Montanans for Healthy Rivers Coalition is currently fighting for. The Crown of the Continent proposal would protect 200 river miles in the heart of Montana, and the Montana Headwaters Legacy Act would preserve an additional 336 miles of river within the pristine Greater Yellowstone ecosystem. For our final episode of our mini-series on the Smith and its vital tributary, the Tenderfoot, we are joined by a man that has spent years on the Smith. Will Plumhoff is a Missoula-based guide and has invested his career into protecting this vulnerable ecosystem. Will shares with us why protection of the Smith and the Tenderfoot is imperative to every Montanan and why the Montana Headwaters Legacy Act could save the Smith. Hey, Will, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Kinsley? I am good. How's how's the start of the season been? It's been good. It's, uh, you know, things ramping up. Staying busy, planning, trying to trying to keep a nine month old new baby at bay, but get the seasons looking great. I think we got you know February with the snowpack is going to help us out mm-hmm. quite a bit, not only around Missoula but also on the Smith. So things are good, man. Things are uh, going to be we're going to be busy. Yes, I do agree with that. It seems like it's going to be bonkers this year. Yeah, I think. I think, you know, with COVID and uh, people realizing that the outdoors is a pretty awesome alternative to sitting in front of a screen once forced to do it, I think uh, mm-hmm. we may we may see our busiest season yet. I agree with that. Well, well, I want to say thank you for taking the time. I know you're busy and nine months old. I can't even imagine. I really appreciate you joining us here today and standing up for the Smith and the Tenderfoot. Yeah, no problem. Any anything I can do for the Smith and to help out with this uh, with this kind of thing, I'm I'm all in for sure. Awesome. So I'll jump right in. So finishing out okay. this three part mini series, we complete our journey on one of the most coveted rivers in the world. The Smith River is a Montana icon and is known for its remote yet connected pristine ecosystem. Not only is the Smith up for wild and scenic protection but so is one of its most prolific spawning tributaries, the Tenderfoot. Balancing many different uses, this river is one of the most threatened, yet one of the most equally important rivers to all Montanans. And today we are joined by a Smith River advocate and seasoned guide, Will Plumhoff. Will has run the Smith over 120 times in his 17 seasons, and this year he will run the Smith six times. So Will and I are picking up where Joe left off in the previous episode, downstream of Heaven on Earth Ranch. Will is here to round out our Smith experience and connect the greater picture for us. So, Will, 
For those that don't know you, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, my name's Will Plumhoff. Um, I was raised in Minnesota. I've uh, been in Montana since 98. Played a couple of years of college soccer in Wisconsin and then uh, transferred out and haven't looked back. Been around the Missoula area that entire time and obviously, you know, enjoying living in Western Montana. Absolutely. So, Will, how, how long have you been guiding then? Uh, you know, I started, I guess it was... I want to say 04, something like that, 04, 05. It's been mm-hmm. a long time, but it also doesn't feel like a long time because <laughs> what I kind of, I honestly, it'd be hard to say that I, that I thought that was going to be my career path. I just, I kind of mm-hmm. fell into it and learned to love it. And it's been, it's been quite a ride so far. It's been great. Mm-hmm. It is a pretty good job. I do agree. <laughs> right. Awesome. So speaking to the Smith, when does your season on the Smith begin and kind of what will that look like through your, your six trip journey here? Yeah. Um, we start, we usually start, uh, May 1st, May 2nd ish. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, we like May a lot because there's opportunities to have not blown out water bugs, Mm -hmm. A lot of the Smith hatches happen earlier. You know, we'll have it's an odd mix because a lot of times in May we'll go down, we won't have squalas the first trip, and then we'll have them. And then mm-hmm. right into salmon flies. And obviously on the Smith, when you're moving along, you'll float into a hatch and flow out of a hatch. So you might mm-hmm. have two days of bonkers dry fly fishing, and then you kind of you move right through that push of bugs. But uh yeah, you know, we do five-day trips, four nights, um, mm-hmm. try and do, I I don't know what it breaks down to, 12-ish miles a day. And I work with a crew of guys I respect and like a lot. And, yeah, man, we, uh, we, kind, of, we kind of guide through June and then into July mm-hmm. if possible. And I've been fortunate enough to have a few high water years over the years where we've gotten to do some September trips, and those are pretty special trips too. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what it would look like in September. That would be awesome. Where, what were the hatches then in September? You know, just your, your typical mayfly affair, a lot of mayflies. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting. It's still hoppers, still a few cicadas mm-hmm. ticking around. Um, but I just remember it, every pool was obvious. It hadn't been fished in a, a really long time, you know, um, mm-hmm. Once those irrigation gates close and it bumps up to a level we're comfortable floating it, you know, it's it's like Christmas because being able <laughs> to be out there in that canyon in September is, is something not everybody gets to see. Um, I can tell you that the raccoons are a lot more active in September. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Hopefully the bear fences will yeah. help with that, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah awesome. they do. They do. But those those guys those guys don't care. They're, they're, they're very athletic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Smart. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So for this mega mini series and our final episode, Will, for those listeners that aren't familiar with this area, can you please give us a geographic location of kind of where we're talking in that general five day, four night float? Yeah. So to heaven on earth, you know, that's a, 
the only really developed area um, that lies along the Smith River. It's kind of the last spot to get ice and get supplies, take a shower. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of in really meandery, slow meandery water with a couple a couple faster sections, you know, once you get down mm-hmm. to Givens. But you're, generally what we're doing is we're fishing, fishing along the walls where the majority mm-hmm. of the the buckets and the depth lies, you know, we're a lot of times we're kind of pushing between those. And I think Joe probably touched on it, but there's a, a lot mm-hmm. of springs, underwater springs down there that those fish use as mm-hmm. refuge. So when it gets really low, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of seeing fish kind of in one spot a lot of times. And we try not to pick mm-hmm. on them when they're doing that. But if you know where the springs are, you've got a pretty good idea of where the trout are, you know, because the Smith does get mm-hmm. warm, especially, especially down there, you know, when, when a river falls as mm-hmm. low as the Smith does 20 CFS or whatever, those fish need some sort of refuge. And that's kind of, I think that's how they make it through those really, mm-hmm. really warm temps. And would you consider Deep Creek one of those kind of solaces for, for fish in warm temps? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's mm-hmm. uh, half the year, you know, it depends on the time of year, but definitely when Deep mm-hmm. Creek has water coming out of it. And unfortunately, I've seen it dry many times. Um, but when Deep Creek is injecting that cold water, it's essential, especially since mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of other pulses of water coming in. You know, you can see fish stacked in there, and that's that's when you're leaving them alone. You know, that's something that's mm-hmm. essential for those Smith fish because, you know, the dissolved oxygen in 76-degree water isn't something mm-hmm. that's sustainable, especially for those those brown trout we love to chase down there. Absolutely. And so kind of furthering that, I was wondering if you could provide a description of the area and kind of explain how the Smith changes from Deep Creek down to the takeout at Eden. Yeah. Um, so, you know, below below Deep Creek, you've got, it's it's similar to the water up to heaven on earth, you know, walls, boulder gardens, <laughs> still looks like the Smith, but you're finding more open valleys, prairies, bowls. That, you know, up on the days before that, you're in a tighter canyon, you know, with walls on either side. There's walls everywhere. Mm-hmm. It kind of opens up. The valley opens up a bit. Um, and then as you're making your way down, uh, you know, say you camp at Gibbons or at Rattlesnake for your last night. Mm-hmm. We kind of, that next day, you're you're definitely, it feels like you're kind of in the southwest somewhere. You come out. The valley opens up, no more giant limestone cliffs. You start floating into cottonwoods. You've got a sheep ranch. Um, and the trouty water is, you know, further further between spots. So mm-hmm. you're trying to find, you know, trying to find fish, but it's there's definitely days where you fish the first five miles and then you're moving. Absolutely. So the topography is complete, completely different. It is. It's amazing how how quickly it changes, too. And when you start to get towards Eden Bridge, reconnecting into society is such a an experience. <laughs> it's an awful strange thing, you know, especially if mm-hmm. you do, you, when I was a young guy and doing back to back to back to back to backs, where you have 13 hours at home and you turn around, you go right back on. After mm-hmm. about 10 of those, you're, you're not fit for society. You're, you're, <laughs> you're on Smith River time, which is, is, is a good thing because you're, your body adjusts, you know, you start waking up naturally at five, you start, 
you're ready to go to sleep when it gets dark. You're just in touch with mm -hmm. something that when you get a screen in front of your face, you're not necessarily. And I think that's, uh, that's super important. I agree. So, Will, let me ask you the million-dollar question of this mini-series. Sure. Why is this area, the Smith River, special to you? Oh, man, that is the million-dollar question. Um, <laughs> it's always been day four and five, I think, especially day five, have always been extremely underrated. I know that there's mm -hmm. groups of people that the last day five they pick up and they take off. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I think it's, I really appreciate survivors and I think those trout down <laughs> there are survivors. And I think if you know how to fish it, it has the best opportunity to get a, a two foot brown trout. They're not always there. They're not always willing to eat, but that's what makes them more special. You know, I think they're kind mm -hmm. of a more blue collar fish. They're not living in this bucolic uh, middle of the Canyon system where anyone can see that mm -hmm. it's fishy this is something where you kind of got to know and you've got to put your time in and i think uh over the years having guided with the guys that i've gotten to guide with and gals and mm -hmm. it it i've learned a lot about that lower river and and you know one thing that's that changes a lot is down there you're seeing crayfish more you know you're seeing mm -hmm you're not necessarily seeing the stoneflies. They'll still eat a stonefly, but you're fishing, fishing different. And I think that's, what's cool about that river because it changes so mm -hmm. much. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just, uh, I've always loved day four and five. Those are the days I like guiding. So yeah, that lower river is very, very unique. You know, it's, you might get down there and look at it and every other person especially the people that are wreck floating are pushing, 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 mm -hmm. and they're looking at you like you got two heads and you're fishing still, you know, and you're catching fish and you may not get the numbers, but there's just, there's just a bunch of interesting water down there that, and it feels like you're fishing in Arizona. It is amazing how, yeah, just how dynamic day to day is. Right. And there's no other river like it, to be honest. <laughs> no. And I think that's why, I think that's why it needs protection. You know, obviously mm -hmm. it's special to me because I've spent almost two years of my life over all the trips I've spent out there, but it's, it's also about the people that I know from, from being on the Smith, the friendships that'll mm -hmm. never go away and, you know, grinding it out through, mm -hmm. through the good and the bad, because if you do a five day trip and you do a lot of them, things are going to go wrong and they're going to, there's going to be a lot that's right and the trip's mm -hmm. going to go good, but you've, you've got to have the right, you know, the right team. And, uh, mm -hmm. I feel lucky to have been able to get some, get, earn my stripes with some guys that have done it mm -hmm. even, you know, longer than I had for a long time. A lot of those guys aren't doing it anymore in gals, but, mm -hmm. but I feel like I'm kind of the old guard for, for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 17 seasons. That's there's something to be said for that. No doubt. It, it's amazing just to add something to it, how quickly those seasons have gone. And, you know, mm -hmm. your first couple of Smith trips, you don't necessarily know if it's for you, at least for me. I, I mean, it was a ton of work. Mm -hmm. um, you're away from mm -hmm. home. You know, as a young guy, you're away from all the, the trappings of living in Missoula you know, all the fun mm -hmm. stuff that we do around here on a daily basis. And we got great fishing here, but 
it just it it starts to dawn on you after a while that this is really really where you want to be, you know. Mm-hmm. So, will kind of piggybacking off of that, how do you share important conservation issues facing Montana and specifically the Smith with clients? I mean, I know when you're in the canyon, it's hard not to talk about protection of that special sure. place. Yeah, I mean, I think as guides, it's kind of incumbent upon us to be to be forthright with the issues that are going on, you know, and obviously the mine and mm-hmm. and the positives that are happening. And I think mm-hmm. if you get somebody invested, whether it's you know, getting them there, taking them down the first time or their 20th time, it keeps it in the brain, right? It's not, mm-hmm. Smith isn't an abstract then. It's a, it's a real concrete thing for them. And the light bulb usually goes off about day three or four for a lot of people because, you know, that's, mm-hmm. you've kind of given yourself to the river and the river's telling you what you can and can't do. And it just, it has a way of kind of worming its way into you. And I think those people, we, we you know, are, we take a lot of people that are in positions of power and have the mm-hmm. wherewithal to uh, to support these causes. So I think, honestly, just talking about the issues, telling them about some of the positives, letting them meet people that are of like mind. You know, when we take a trip, we've got eight clients and seven staff and exposing them to something that in a boardroom they wouldn't necessarily talk about or even think about. And I think just, mm-hmm. just keeping them in that place, honestly, that river does so much of the work for us that when I bring up a conservation issue, it's like, obviously, you know, so people that I wouldn't mm-hmm. peg as, as uh, you know, necessarily conservation minded, I think after five days, you can't help but be in. And we've got a whole group of people that, that think the same way. And I think that's, uh, that's, and that's how we do it, you know, as guides. Mm-hmm. And furthering that, if this bill is passed, how do you see this area benefiting from the protection? Oh, I think it's, I think obviously it sounds like it's a great bill. Um, I think, you know, the tenderfoot obviously is mm-hmm. super important spawning, spawning area. And that part of the Smith is, is pretty essential, um, especially for what everybody treasures, which are, you know, the large brown trout, even even though they're non-natives, they've been there for a long, long time. The water table, you know, not being mm-hmm. drawn down to the point that we don't have that spring water, those refuges where they can go and they can be and they don't have to exert effort. I think uh, if we can if we can get that protected, I think that's uh, the future of the river looks pretty bright. You know, I, there's a lot of doom and gloom, but I think there's enough people that care about this place that we can, we can really affect some change. And I think this bill would, would do a lot to, to further that. Agreed. Yeah. And I think us talking about it here today is going to help get the word out and explain. For sure. Yeah. To people that have never seen this myth, just how special and how revered it is for us here in Montana. That's awesome. It's the, it's the, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I know the middle fork of the salmon and the Smith are kind of in the same like hallowed grounds, but Mm -hmm. I I just, I'm partial to the Smith and I feel like if you've done it uh, even once, it becomes Mm -hmm. your favorite river because of it, how dynamic it is, how there are, Mm -hmm. you get every hatch, you get, you get 
I mean, you know, the crayfish aren't the greatest thing because they like a little warmer water, but the fact that you can cycle through a box of flies and throw 50 different ones and they all work mm-hmm. because those bugs are all present, that's something that nobody really talks about is that, you know, stoneflies need cold water too, and clean water. And if those go mm-hmm. away, they're going to be replaced. And we really, the Smith has always been known as a great golden stone fishery. And unfortunately in the last, I don't know, I'd say six, seven seasons, we're seeing less and less of that. And I don't know mm-hmm. why, but uh, that's something I hope that this bill, you know, also would protect, you know, something that, keeping that cold water there for those stoneflies to proliferate so that those try to stuff to eat. Agreed. Yep. Health of the whole ecosystem. For sure. Awesome. Can you share your favorite story from the Smith? So Joe shared the story of the British party that resorted to wearing trash bags (laughs) and heated water bottles to keep warm. Uh, I assume you were on that nightmare trip, right? (laughs) That was the, I think that was the year before, I think that was a couple of years after Joe got his permits. I think that was the year before I was on the crew. I was going down the Smith, but that was, I'm pretty sure, I want to say that was the year before. I've I've definitely, it's a trip that'll live in infamy. Um, And a lot of my stories I I can't share because I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Um, One of, one of the great ones though is Tom Gagnon and I were, on a, we, we get really lucky sometimes, you know, Joe's just been so good to us, but he'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a trip, you know, or some, for some reason people have to cancel or whatever. And we had a father son, um, group and we were at Stag Miller. It was just Tom and I, and you know, when you, when it's that small, you've got a kind of a, you get, you get very close with those folks because you're in the boat with them, you're cooking them dinner and you're hanging out more than you know, you get your work done, but then you hang out. Mm-hmm. So by the third night, I think, because this would have been the fourth night, we decided that we had a Frisbee and we're looking for something to do, you know, play play something. Mm-hmm. So I think the I think the client came up with the idea to play Frisbee beer stick, you know. So you throw <laughs> the Frisbee at the stick, knocks the beer off, then you drink the, I, I, I don't remember the rules off the top <laughs> of my head, but that's kind of, it's it's pretty basic, a very crude game. So we're playing, you know, we're at Stag Miller, not a breath of air, and beautiful evening. Um, everybody's having a good time. And we just kind of hear a whooshing. And I mean, maybe 30 seconds, we're like, oh, we better go on the wall tent. And those guys scampered off to their dome tent. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden, you know, we had everything out for dinner and appetizers and wine out for everybody. A uh, microburst hit us. And it took our wall tent. Tom and I were standing up, holding the legs, and it was picking us up <laughs> five feet off the ground. It took wine bottles that were full and threw them against the opposite wall right across from Stagmiller. And uh-huh. it, it it destroyed our camp. It folded everything into a little ball. And Tom's got a photo of me that he probably could blackmail me with looking out a <laughs> slit. The front door of our wall tent was just my face and my hair terrified and you know it was one of those it was one of those moments that he likes to bring up every every two three seasons about how he was out taking a photo and I was inside there but that was I mean there's so many honestly Kinsley I I, Mm -hmm. that's one that comes to me off the top of my head and and then you know like Another good Smith story is probably the opportunity to take my pop who's who passed away about five years ago down mm-hmm. and 
not a fly fisherman, walleye guy, mm-hmm. grew up fishing in southern Minnesota, and I get to take him, you know, and guide him for, uh, I think I think I pawned him off on Kurt Gamble for one day, but uh, I had him for... I had him for the bulk of the trip, obviously, and just mm-hmm. sitting, we were right above Kyle Cooley on the last wall on the right and sitting in a back eddy and he had just hooked and landed like a 20, you know, he, he fished mm-hmm. awesome. And he just kind of sat there and turned around and looked at me and said, you know, this is, I totally, I totally get it. I totally get mm-hmm. why you love this so much and stay in Montana as long as you can do it. You know, he so that to me is always going to be a super special thing, you know, and it just makes the Smith that much more special to me for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's such a, such a sweet memory. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about yeah. the river. I mean, just priceless memories over, over the years. So thanks for sharing that. That was awesome. Of course. So lastly, Will, if you had a message for folks right now or could encourage others listening to take action for the Smith, what would that be? Um, I think, you know, I think obviously get involved with TU, but I think uh, write your legislators, get a hold of them, let them know it matters, and go vote for people that are pro-conservation. If somebody, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the classic quote, if somebody shows you who they are, believe them, you know? So if somebody's got a track mm-hmm. record of supporting things that'll that'll help the Smith become a better fishery and protect it, just just get involved that way. I think that's as important as anything. And, you know, for guides out there, when you're in the boat and somebody's somebody's questioning the validity of that stuff, you need to it's up to you to remind them we gotta be fairly staunch about why these places exist and how important mm-hmm. they are. And there's no replacing that river, you know? If that river mm-hmm. for something if something happens and it's tainted, it's never gonna be like it is. It's so fragile. At the same mm-hmm. time, if we leave it alone we can we can enjoy it with our families i want my i want my daughter to go down it i want her to be able to go gear boat and guide if she wants you know i i i think that uh i think people need to think about the generation behind us that's coming after us Mm -hmm. you know a smarter person than me said we're just kind of the gatekeepers and our job is to not screw it up amen to that that's why we're we're fighting and we continue to fight for the smith absolutely yeah, I appreciate what you guys are doing, too. Well, same. Well, Will, thank you yeah. so much for rounding out the wild and scenic protection on the Smith, which could provide 24 miles from the Tenderfoot to Deep Creek, and on the Tenderfoot itself, 21 miles of protection. We really appreciate your time and your, your for your dedicated efforts in protecting the Smith. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Kinsley. Take care. From all of us here at Montanans for Healthy Rivers, thank you for tuning in. If you would like to learn more about the Crown of the Continent proposal, the Montana Headwaters Legacy Act, and to join our efforts, please visit healthyriversmt.org to add your endorsement.